Welcome, everyone, to a very special day. Uh, we have two of the primary designers of Wizards D&D, Strixhaven, the newest release from Wizards, uh, all about magical romps and schooling and taking tests still in my fantasy world. So we're definitely going to talk about that. But please welcome uh, lead designer Amanda Hammond and the primary NPC designer, uh, T.A. Stangroom. I appreciate you guys being here today, and my co-host, as per usual, the lovely Stella Luna. So welcome, everyone. Uh, first things first, as a, a, a nod to our guests here, I would like you guys to please introduce yourselves properly, what your actual positions are, um, and what you do in a day-to-day -day thing, and then maybe what your favorite ice cream is, because that is one of Stella's favorite questions, and I think it's a pretty good uh ice cream oh. breaker oh so, oh man yeah coming at me with the hard questions already <laughs> yes so uh this amanda. early at noon how yeah, dare you noon. um so amanda please if you would wouldn't mind introducing yourself and uh all of your lovely titles along with it because there's a, a string <laughs> of them uh, and then your favorite ice cream i would not mind hello everybody my name is amanda hammond i am a senior designer at wizards of the coast in the dungeons and dragons studio um and i'm a product lead so that means that I uh, lead the production of uh, hardcover books um, that uh, are published for fifth edition, including uh, this book that was just released in December, Strixhaven, a curriculum of chaos. Uh, I will skip through all the rest of, of my titles, including <laughs> Imperatrix and all of mm -hmm. the other things that people yes. call me probably rudely. Uh, <laughs> and my favorite ice cream um oh man i've been getting myself in trouble recently with uh double vanilla with a little bit of rum mixed into it so i'm gonna have to go with that what just a little bit of rum something double vanilla i think it's because it's like super vanilla <laughs> extra vanilla <laughs> they literally van add double okay got it yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> vanilla section I it is i couldn't tell if it was just like a double scoop of vanilla and therefore it is double vanilla or if it was you know, they really put the vanilla into the vanilla. In the vani wow. They tried if, out if vanilla. If this was themselves. the 90s, it would be advertised as vanilla extreme. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Okay. That's a good choice. I like that. I like that. And Alexander, how about yourself, please? Um, hello, everybody. I'm T. Alexander Stangroom. Uh, I am the director of operations for Cobalt Press. Um, my day job. Enormous things, anything from sort of uh, sorting out conventions and licensing and scheduling. And if it's not drawing and writing, then I've normally sort of got a hand in it somewhere. Uh, but I'm also a freelance uh, game designer and professional GM. And uh, most recently have been doing some work on Strixhaven. <laughs> Strangely enough. <laughs> um, favorite ice cream. Um, when it's done very well and it isn't, that common a really good pistachio okay. especially when it's bright green as a color not found mm. in nature <laughs> <laughs> do you like having the pistachio sprinkled on top too i like uh chunks of pistachio dotted throughout it so there's a little bit of additional texture right a good pistachio to even, ice cream ratio exactly it must be evenly distributed throughout the ice cream otherwise it's not <laughs> worthwhile um, well, otherwise, it's, you know, you're just eating a pistachio and then a mouthful of ice cream and it's not <laughs> I mean, not that's fair, too. I would do that. <laughs> you can mix it in your mouth. Just yeah. Go, ah. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like doing cereal and milk, but only in your mouth. That, <laughs> yes. Mm, just chewing enough, having someone pour the milk in and just, like, shaking it around. 
Excellent. That's my version of a blender. Uh, and to I'm, keep, I'm an adult. To keep us in line, uh, Stella, what is your favorite ice cream? Okay, so the easy answer is mint chocolate chip, but my absolute favorite is called Brambleberry Crisp, and it's by Jenny's, and it has a bunch of really tasty stuff in it. It's got, like, oats and strudel and, like, four different kinds of berries, and it's Sounds very, great. very extra. Uh, I will have, I'm sure that's excellent, but it's very difficult for me to tell uh, unless you send us some so I can ah. like, then have an opinion on Bet. it. <laughs> She'll the man's do it. logic is wrong. I'll do it too. She'll I'll do, do it. it too. Oh god. Um, I'm very boring in that. Uh, Ben and Jerry's Moose Tracks is my favorite because I like chunks of chocolate in things. It's, it's delicious and I like it. Um, but yeah, welcome. Thank you for the lovely introductions. We have a list of questions here, chat, but we will be taking your questions uh, as well. I Stella, do you want to do it interspersed? I think we should have a section for it later. If we've got time or... yes so chat feel free to throw out your questions i'll copy them down and we'll address all of them at the end excellent thank you very much and we're going to start with some rather personal questions um fortunately they've been previously screened by our uh attendees here so they've totally agreed to answer all of these but um since we started with amanda on the introductions we're gonna start with alexander here what started your ttrpg journey how long have you been playing? Uh, and any other little tidbits about TTRPG in your life? Uh, TTRPG journey. Uh, that's that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> when I was 10 years old, going into um, a uh, bookstore in the United Kingdom, going down to sort of the, the fantasy section, and there was an entire shelf of just green, bright green spined books. Mm. And these were the fighting fantasy choose-your-own-adventure game books by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston, most notably from uh, Games Workshop. Uh, uh, and that's what got me sort of hooked in fantasy gaming. Sure. Um, jump forwards, uh, Dungeon Dragons 3.0, 3.5, mm -hmm. Pathfinder sort of, you know, and all of these other systems, uh, anything from narrative-based games, mm -hmm. um, 7th C, wow. uh, Call of Cthulhu, all of this. Um, so I was in and around the industry for a, a, a long time doing organized play, uh, Pathfinder organized play with, with Paizo uh, for 10 years, uh, GMing at various conventions. Um, got to meet the, the company. Um, and then I started demoing their games for new releases. So Starfinder, um, co-created by Amanda Hammer, um, <laughs> and Pathfinder 2nd Edition, and sort of making contacts uh, that way mm -hmm. uh, until the point at which uh, I heard that uh, Wolfgang Bauer of uh, Cobalt Press, whose name was on like all of the books that I, <laughs> that I owned and had been playing for the last 10 years, was needing somebody to help run his company. I was like, I, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, I could do that. I could do that. That's a do that. bit of an oversimplification of your background. You weren't just a rando who showed up and you were like, hi, Wolfgang, here is my hat of importance. You should hire me to uh, run your company. No, I'd, um, I'd been working sort of um, uh, civil service of so, uh, American federal government uh, equivalent, and uh, I'd been uh, working for the University of Cambridge and had been the tutorial secretary for the uh, Countess of St. Andrews and all of these different sort of high-level positions and then got into TTRPG. And then, okay, <laughs> okay. Which is, which was more fun? 
Um, organizing um, admissions for St. John's College, University of Cambridge, and the cat wrangling that was trying to get a bunch of professors from each subject in a room at the same time yeah. to interview people who would come from all across the world is very much like TTRPG cat wrangling. <laughs> so there's a direct correlation of all of these brilliant scheduling. people. Um, oh yeah, so it's it's scheduling, it's, um, it's uh, Excel documents desperately trying to find the crossover between sort of availability. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, producer side of me also feels yes. that very hard. Yeah, that's good, <laughs> excellent. Uh, Amanda and yourself, a, a bit on that Starfinder thing. What what else, what started your TTRPG journey? How did you what get to What started my TTRPG journey, wow. Well, I, you know, I have a couple different answers for that, but if we wanna go all the way back, the way the um, somebody has set the bar the really way. high. <laughs> I think I have to go all the way back to when I was in third grade. And um, so my, my mother is a big lover of books um, and literature, and she has kept a collection of books that she's had since she you know, was a teenager. And then she kept all of her college books and she bought novels throughout the way. So when I was growing up, we always had these big bookshelves um, full of books that I never you know, thought much about as a very little kid. But as I got older and became you know, interested in reading and, and things like that as well, was like, hey, what are these things? Uh, and what are these things about? And, you know, my mom told me about a few of them and I really latched onto uh, a book that was, um, she said it's, it's about a, a little creature called a hobbit and there's a big dragon, uh, and there's a, a little scary guy and there's an invisible ring in it. And I was like, yes, I went to read this book. And she went, well, you're in third grade, so I'm going to read this book to you. <laughs> so I have a, a lovely memory of my mother reading the hobbit to me uh, as like my first real fantasy novel novel in the third grade um, and just like sitting with her at night trying to you know get through a chapter in evening and uh, you know discovering these uh, you know high fantasy tropes uh, from in some cases where they originated from Tolkien verse for the first time through that eyes through the eyes of a child and I think that was really one of the first times that I fell in love with fantasy and really decided that that was what I was interested in without even realizing that it was a genre. Um, I was just interested in the stories yeah. uh, as a kid. So uh, that then led to being interested in lots of fantasy media and lots of movies and playing video games and just kind of being a nerd. Um, and then when I was in high school, I fell in with a friend group who had been playing D&D &D for a long time together. Uh, and it was at the very beginning of 3.5 um, around the 2001 time period. And I specifically specifically remember because all my friends who were in that group complained about third edition uh, having changed over to 3.5 and having to buy new books and all that stuff <laughs> so uh, I started playing D&D &D, uh, with them and didn't have any money was just you know a high school kid and I remember sitting in the basement um, with my friend who had all the books he was the designated person in the group who owned all the books and just going through um, you know various uh, unearthed arcana uh, magic was a really you know big interest um, of me in my early D&D days and getting getting started as uh, I was about 15 you know, I think I was at the tail end of 15 right about to be 16 when I first started playing D&D &D. Um, and then that th that just led to playing various role-playing games other games of D&D um, &D. I played a lot of White Wolf um, when I was uh, growing up I played uh, lots of other various um, you know tabletop games and then I got into it from a, a freelance um, perspective first uh, in first edition Pathfinder um, and was a writer for for that. That's a whole long story, but uh, started out 
being hired at Paizo <laughs> yeah. uh, in 2015 and uh, went from being a developer on first edition Pathfinder to the design team um, and co-creation of the Starfinder RPG. Um, was at Paizo for about five years and then I was at Cobalt Press as the editorial director and then I uh, moved over here to Wizards of the Coast. So yeah, that's skipping a lot of time yeah, yeah, <laughs> in a no, very no, short it's explanation. It's good. We got the Hobbit portion of that. I think that's like mandatory for most any either interview or fantasy related podcasts yeah. or shows. That's just that's a thing that you have to do. You have to reference Tolkien somewhere. So yeah. we, we very, filled our quota. We're good. Very, oh, very good. relatable origin yeah, story. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mine was very similar to that. So yeah, that's it's good. It's good. Thank you. Um so on that same line, this is another one of those kind of what was your favorite ice or what is your favorite ice cream questions, but it's um from any game that you've played tabletop wise, who is your favorite character that you've played? And just a little short bit about them or a favorite moment from a game that you've played in your life. And I know oh. I'm asking you to dig deep, really <laughs> remember back. Yeah. Um I mean, it is a little bit of, let me tell you about my character. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, why we're I, here. <laughs> yeah, I played, uh, I played a Pathfinder first edition um, game and um, I have, uh, for organized play, and I have a tendency to go really quite heavy into my character's backstory before I actually sit down and play it for the first session, like two, three pages of, of backstory um and that's because i like to give the gm a bundle of sticks with which to beat me mm -hmm. throughout mm -hmm. the game it's, it's <laughs> a blessing as a gm <laughs> it's the great best. um so uh this was a game that was being run by amanda and uh and in our game we've got a load of other players sort of who work in the industry um sort of at paizo and other uh, companies and uh he was um he, the game started with him as a hobo, <laughs> and the, the, the characters introduced in the, in the opening session. They're all in the tavern, and we're about to get press ganged. We know this because it's the sort of the format of the adventure. Do that. Yeah. Um, so the the characters are all interacting with various bits and bobs, and uh, they go, "All oh, right, and now you describe your character." And I'm I'm there dressed in rags with things, and I'm going around trying to stay out of the way, and I'm like funneling scraps from the tables that have been <laughs> left over by drunken pirates mm -hmm. until i get to a a table that has some gruel some soup some leftover sort of stew and i pick it up and i look around and then i open my pocket and pour <laughs> the stew in because I've, I've got like a dedicated stew pocket right um, of course that's the origin it? of the soup pocket <laughs> yeah so so this character was called rag heap and he was he was a, a, a filthy rag heap yeah and the, the character played in this adventure and had lots of fun times as being this awful uh, rank heap until at a pivotal moment, the he had a magical girl transformation. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and tore off the, um, the, the plot uh, piece of ratty string around his wrist and had like the full the spin spinning oh, around. This is good. Um, and became this incredibly sophisticated looking urbane half orc with a, a beautifully thin waxed <laughs> moustache and beard and rapier and everything. Um, and in the middle of a fight, and it, I, I, I tacked as I did it. And the problem with a lot of games is when you do something cool, you narrate something cool, and then you roll. You roll, yeah. Oh, no. 
the dice <laughs> often don't support the groundwork that you've laid down yeah, of coolness. Grandiose story that you've built for yourself over sessions and sessions. Yeah. So thankfully, at the point at which he, he tore this off and announced who he was and attacked the uh, the person who was corrupting his deity's faith and all this, and I rolled an attack and crit and confirmed the crit and rolled max damage and just obliterated wow. the, the end of book boss in one hit. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. It was all <laughs> worth it. <laughs> it. It was just, I. it was lovely to have the dice you know, back up what I was trying to do yeah. because normally I'm really cool and then I just fall <laughs> flat on my face. That was such a fun moment as well because I, uh, you could, it, this doesn't happen very often in RPG groups because people are, are always, you know, they have things to say and their characters are reacting to things. The magical girl transformation happens and then the the boss who, you know, has confronted Ragheap, who they think is Ragheap, uh, has, you know, been obliterated in one hit and the other characters who are all, you know, rapscallions, they're all mangy sorts who have, you know, shown up to the tavern, tavern and some of them have kind of questionable motives, especially in one, in one case, we had a character named uh, Norman who was just like straight up a criminal okay. <laughs> and they all like you could hear a pin drop in that second after he just destroys the boss uh, after having been revealed as uh when he actually was uh was the heir uh, to a duchy yeah. in Cheliax <laughs> in this like you know this uh you know, this very storied nation and you could hear the players just shocked because they didn't know like there had been no conversation between the players yeah. of who Ragheep really was yeah. they just thought it he was, was Ragheep. It was just play a GM interaction so <laughs> isn't it wonderful at the moment when all the players are surprised by yes. a character backstory sort of coming to the fore. And then and the Norman, the character, you know, who is definitely the most like questionable, just goes, Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it was so good. I'm so glad that that worked out the way it did. It was really fun. <laughs> That's yeah. That's I, okay. So my my thing is I'm still stuck on the suit pocket. Um, what happened to the initial bit of gruel in the pocket? Oh right. So what you have is it's important like a, a an oil skin a wax jacket. So you make sure that the right. pocket is an oil skin. So you're not going to get leakage. Right. But the problem is is that you uh, once it's in the pocket you then have How to sort you, of like keep yeah uh, get it you, oh you you were winnie the poet you just cover oh, your hands yeah. <laughs> and then just wow yeah. i'm almost sorry i asked but it's per it's good yeah <laughs> so i feel like there are solutions there but i'm glad that that's what you like were stuck a ladle with. do you just, like keep a ladle and then you, you can use like a, a straw oh, no 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 I, again i think you're you're thinking quite sort of high right here yeah. <laughs> you know it's Put hand in, bring hand out, <laughs> lick, lick hand, drip into mouth, repeat until there's no more gruel. That's it. A ladle is way too bougie uh, for ride keeper. Right, okay? You're right. You're that's right, you're putting right. on airs. Sorry, I, I got really ahead of myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Amanda, yes. same question. Did you have your own magical girl transformation that ended so beautifully, or? What was your favorite character slash character moment? I mean, I've had like literally the opposite of that happen to me one okay. time, <laughs> not too long ago. Oh gosh. So there's a character that I'm playing in a campaign that's actually about to end. And um, I think there's one session left and Alexander is running it. And this is, uh, this is also a Pathfinder first edition um, mm -hmm. campaign. And this takes place in uh, like fantasy Egypt, right? Um, so there's lots of, 
the Egyptian themes, uh, and there's an evil, you know, Pharaoh who's uh, about to come back to life, and, and that's sort of, you know, the story of the of the campaign. But we've been playing this campaign for about 20 months. Yeah. We worked out recently, wow. um, and uh, it's been it's been a very deep dive role play experience, and it's also been a very deadly campaign. So somehow, <laughs> I mean, we've 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 had 30 character deaths over <laughs> the 20 months. Three? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, it, w one character had died nine times. So that is counting characters who oh. die and then are brought back. So oh. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'm getting more of a feel of what Alexander's like as a, a GM here. That's aggressive. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's in little... that game. So your favorite character is that person, that the one you're playing? I, I would say, yeah, off the top of my head, that this character that I've been playing, somehow I've been playing it from the beginning since I've been playing the campaign, um, which uh, has been, I think, like six levels when I started because the group needed to add another player. There was like meta reasons they needed to add another player. So I jumped in um, and I created a paladin of Anubis uh, named Taliba Mabizi and Menendez. And I very much, uh, as Alexander described, did this, a similar deep dive into... Who's this character? What's her backstory? What's her family like? Um, and her family was uh, was very important because they were the um, priestesses, the the high the high priestesses of Anubis in the entire nation, and they had been for many, many, many generations. Um, and I'd put together a story in which this family uh, they were the the royal priests and priestesses of the uh, Pharaonic line at one point in a certain dynasty, and that was many generations ago. But they've since you know continued on their their sort of divine journey and um they've uh, continued to keep up the ways of the old gods and now you know like they're amongst the only people in the city who still do that but they're still the haven of of anubis and i like very much tend to make things up like add kind of details to when i'm role playing um in a way that probably really annoys gms because they have to keep track of it <laughs> Um, and so I had worked out, um, you know, that Taliba was from this family uh, who, you know, had uh, all kinds of ties to the Pharaonic line and was still, you know, seen uh, in a very um, uh, positive, in a very positive, a very influential light, even though they didn't necessarily have the same influence that they did, um, you know, way back. Uh, and that she, you know, knew that history and was very caught up in it and was like, uh, you know, I've got a certain destiny to sort of um, fulfill, right? And that's why she's on this journey. And uh, I had come up with who was her, who were her parents, who was her grandmother. Her grandmother was the high priestess of Anubis in the entire setting. Like she was the person that you would go um, to if you needed uh, to commune with a god and that sort of thing. Uh, and there was one point, um, and this is where the real world and sort of fantasy role play collide, where right after Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away, um, which you know is a sad event for for many many reasons. Uh, we had a role playing session like the next day, mm. and I was role playing out talking about you know how uh, my my grandmother you know she was really going to be disappointed in me from some of the things that had happened, and I couldn't let her down, and like everybody had to you know make sure that they didn't annoy grandma, um, and we needed some some sort of healing right because people had been injured. I was like, oh, well, I guess maybe we can see if grandma would do this, but she's gonna, you know, she's gonna like give us a dressing down. Uh, and then when it came time to, and I had named her, whatever he private messaged me and was like, hey, what's your grandma's name? And I was like, oh, it's, it's Anna. It's Anna, you know, and Menendez. Menendez being the name of the pharaonic destiny, right? Yeah. That um, dynasty that uh, they, you know, were uh, sort of like involved with. And uh, he's he like behind scenes while we're role-playing, talking about all this stuff at our base of operations, which is 
is my family compound, which is also the temple of Anubis, went and got a piece of art that was like a line drawing of RBG. Uh, and when we went to go meet the grandmother, there was this big scene of her kind of coming out in her robes and coming to uh, to greet us and like, okay, well, what happened? You better tell the truth, Taliba, or you're going to be in trouble. He puts up the image of <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg and is like, this is what your grandmother looks like. Oh, <laughs> Which was just like, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> oh, that's so so that's I, I really enjoyed playing playing the character who's got a lot of family history, who's you know got a reason to be invested in this campaign, uh, and... Um, has made some very poor decisions in the course of going through the temples. Sorry, Amanda, I'm just going to stop you there. Some very questionable decisions. This is the only game I've ever played or run, I've mm-hmm. been GMing for a long time, where the paladin has fought <laughs> and had their powers taken away from them by their deity. Yep, oh. yep. Oh, yeah. So I, very questionable decisions were made. I flew too close to the sun. I, it, that's the short version. The slightly longer version is I had been role-playing her to become to become more reckless because she's gaining more and more power and she is becoming the most powerful paladin of Anubis in the entire world. And so she's becoming kind of cocky. And I, like, I am kind of an overpowered character. Like, she does a lot of damage and she has a lot of oomph behind you know what she's doing mechanically uh and so i was having her being a little bit more impatient and there was a a moment where there's like a door and it's like oh well we could find a different way in or we could just do the thing to open the door and talib is like whatever i'll just do it and it turns out doing that was technically maybe worshiping an evil entity (laughs) and anubis wasn't okay with that i feel like you're soft selling So this, this enormous sort of like lo- locked stone door in a in a pyramid, uh, different color to everything else. So you can tell it's a doorway, and there is a sigil of what the wizard identifies to be a, a type of demon lord, a really obscure one. Mm. And they work out what his name is, and there's a, an inscription that says, "You must uh, sort of anoint me as necessary," or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they worked out that they could either smash through the door, or the correct way to open the door was to cut your hand, put it on the door, and it'll open it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, okay, fine. And the wizard's like, I don't want to cut my hand. Yeah. And there's a com- there's a small conversation. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. And and Taliba was like, oh, it's fine, I'll do it. Takes off her gauntlet from her foot, <laughs> her hand and puts it on. And I was just like, can you just, just what, one more time for me? I, maybe it's comms. Can you just repeat what it is <laughs> you're doing? Walk me through that one more time. <laughs> And she says, oh, yeah, I'll just I'll take out my dagger and I'll cut my hand and I'll put it to the... I said, so uh, so you were anointing the, the stone to dedicate it to an evil deity in a religious ritual? And she was like, uh... <laughs> like, yeah, yes, Anubis I knows I don't I mean it. Yeah, yeah Anubis uh... knows I don't mean it. It'll be fine. And there, was, there was a pause and everybody at the table, because we're on, we're on cams as well, everyone was just like as the penny dropped <laughs> and it was like oh no it was like this 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 metaphysical womp womp <laughs> ah, if i could take it back i would but my blood's all over this thing now <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, there's no plausible deniability in that <laughs> sorry anubis i was pranking um yeah excellent yeah. all right uh, let's switch some gears here and we'll go to talking about designing the game 
we'll talk about mm. Strixhaven specifically. Okay. Mm. Uh, what was the most exciting part of working on Strixhaven for you? And we'll start off with Amanda. Ooh, so it's got to be, it, it has to be outlining the adventures, right? So the adventures are two thirds of the entire book um, and they go from level one to level 10. And there are four chapters, each of which map to a year at the university. It's a four year university, um, you know, in style with American universities. So I think the most fun thing was, you know, once that structure was in place, uh, realizing this setting is this setting is very different from any other D&D settings that we've published before. It's focused on young adults. Uh, it's focused on coming of age. It's, there's a magical element to it, and it's in the D&D verse, right? And so there are opportunities here to do things that we've never done before um, in a game. And I think the book kind of reflects some of that content. But realizing those things to be true, and the fact that there's like I could put anything I want in these adventures. <laughs> yeah. This is awesome. It doesn't have to just be a dungeon crawl that happens to be on a campus. It can be about being in class and about having friendships and about having romances and about uh, that interpersonal dynamic that really defines that college experience. And I think for me, that was the most fun because the, the gloves were kind of off and I was able to think outside the box and do some of the things that you see that show up in that book. It was really fun for me. Oh, excellent. Uh, how about you, Alex? Um, okay, well, I think the, the the funnest, the most fun thing is the fact that my name is in a Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> That's book. pretty cool. That's, <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but folks, so I, for those who don't know, I uh, created all of the NPCs that plug into the romance subsystem, as well as worked on the subsystem with the Manta, um, and for me, it was able to to get to a point, we, sometimes when you read books and they have characters and they're introduced, they're, sometimes it's just a list. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, a series of bullet points, uh, you know, name, sort of gender, species, and then made like a top note thing. And, but that's all they are, it's just a list. So what was exciting was that I could spend the time and try and make these real people and really sort of develop their backstory and the, the reasonings behind sort of the characterization on them so that when when a gm and a player reason for the first time they're not having to do the heavy lifting mm -hmm. they read this and they can already encapsulate everything that this person is and it just it makes it a much more very organic helpful. experience it was yeah. very helpful uh yeah having them all like that and knowing exactly how they would act in various different situations yeah it's good I really enjoyed all the little tidbits of the extra extracurricular activities that they do in there too. Yeah. So like help round out like who they are and how they spend their time. Yeah, I think it was really fun because you can tell a very interesting story uh, in a sort of a non-traditional, non-linear way. So those details of those NPCs that they have on them, that tells you what they're like. You can think of what kind of person, you know, would be part of the Dead Languages Society, but also part of the Silk Ball Club, but also, um, you know, very, very sensitive and, you know, like work in the library or something like that. Like mm -hmm. all of those little bits of information can create a unique personality. And I think that did a really really good job with that in the system yes, it's very good um branching off of that since we jumped into npcs here uh who's your favorite if you had to pick one one i mean i know uh, his one. answer <laughs> I, I i love them all equally as every father would he say does, as yes no, however <laughs> <laughs> with that caveat um 
I think. Oh, no, I'm going to, no, I'm not going to pick one. I'm going to pick two. Um, oh, broke my rules. Unbelievable. Strict. So uh, I'm going to pick my my wonderful scruffy boy, Javanesh Stoutclaw, the, uh, the owlin. The hottest um, owl on campus. Yep. It's a, it's a fantastic piece of art, and he all looks beat up, and um, he's he's a roughy tufty um, aggressive-appearing um uh, Owlin and he works as a uh, a bouncer in the local tavern. Um, but the problem is he's he's a little bit lonely because people are react to him directly from initial impressions, and he genuinely just wants to be friends with people. But they're sort of off off put that, and he's he's lovely and all. And the other one is uh, the gnome. Uh, Rosie Miffinbip was Fedlims, and partly because I got to call a character Rosie Miffinbip was Fedlims, yeah, <laughs> which name. I said was fine as long as she had a pronounceable, shorter version of her name that GMs could actually yeah. say. <laughs> so, so, Rosie, um, uh, because she's just this wonderful, hyper excited uh, character, and that's that was what's important to me. It wasn't like their single notes. They're actually sort of like a little bit more interesting. So she, the idea that this tiny little person uh, work, you know, is part of the live action role playing uh, group, but only plays monsters and will chase you down. And you can hear the high pitched giggling sort of dopplering <laughs> as he gets closer to you. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah, it, like the, the words say something along the lines of like, the last thing that people hear is the giggling as they giggling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love Rosie so much. One of the things I love about those little details that you worked into the NPCs is that it really, they gave me a lot of fuel for how to include them in the adventures. And there are a number of NPCs who have very significant presences in the adventures, um, which I believe you guys are both familiar with. Um, but Rosie shows up and is the uh, both the referee and the um, instructor to teach you how to play Mage Tower during the practice session of Mage Tower that you have as a second year at the university. And you get to interact with her as, as the referee there and, and see her personality. And uh, there's actually a, a little thing that she, you know, will give you and you get a little bit of her backstory um, about, you know, what that means to her. Uh, and then there's a fight that breaks out. And so then you're more motivated as players to be like, oh no, I can't let something bad happen to Rosie. Rosie's the best. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, yourself? Oh. If you had well, to I'm pick gonna... one. One. No, I picked two. <laughs> okay. You can't make me. <laughs> pick two, please. <laughs> so I'm going to go with uh with two for real. Uh wasn't joking. Okay. Probably so the first one is going to be Xanther Bowen. Yes. He is our fire genasi head cheerleader. Uh, was popular kid at school, but one of the reasons that I find him so endearing is he is popular without even really having the sort of uh, like self awareness of how much people like him. He's just so nice. He's just a nice person. He compliments people. He uplifts people. He is a twist on the mean, on the mean, like, you know, cheerleader, right? Um, trope. And he's just somebody that you would want to hang out with. Uh, and he actually like, he reminds me of, I used to work at Purdue University. He reminds me of a couple of guys who were students there when I worked there and people called them the compliment guys because they would stand uh, on, uh, you know, various um, like corners next to the academic buildings and just shout out compliments to people who were walking by, including the staff, including the faculty. They just stand there and be like, you, you look wonderful today. I like your backpack. Your hair ribbon is pretty. Uh, you know, you look happy, keep smiling or something like that. And it was just, 
such a nice, pure thing um, that, you know, Xanther, I think, really kind of brings out that, that sort of positivity that is really nice. My second one is going to have to be Greta Gorin, everyone's favorite iron lifting dwarf with mm-hmm. a gap in her teeth. <laughs> Greta is awesome because, of course, you know, she's the bodybuilder, um, but she is she is another one who, you know, is uh, very tied into her extracurriculars. Uh, she is very likable. She is uh, she roughhouses and plays a lot. Um, she's there to study, but really she's also kind of there to have fun. Um, and she just seems like somebody you'd want to go and sit down and have a have a meal with, or you know, play some of the rowdy games that happen on campus with. Um, and another part of the the NPC system is there's uh, you know little boons and banes for becoming yep. friends or rivals with them. And I love Greta's, um, which is that if you annoy Greta, you will find inexplicably heavy things placed within your path at inopportune times <laughs> so if Greta annoys you one of her buddies will just like push a desk in front of your door one morning and you can't get out of your dorm room <laughs> I love the boons and banes those are awesome <laughs> there's so much like there's such little things but I really hope they come into play a lot and DMs you know find a way to incorporate them because they are very flavorful and I think very tied to the personalities of these NPCs Yes. I, the, the specific one is that, um, was it Antif- Anti-Fun, which I finally figured out his middle name was Anti-Fun, um, the third. Uh, he, specifically booing people, like having a group <laughs> of people specifically. Oh, good. That one was good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is that Quintilius? Quintilius. Oh, my Quintilius. God. Quintilius. Quintilius. Also, in that write-up, I got to use the word histrionic. <laughs> Which is a good That's word. That's a good word. Yeah. Good word. And awesome. Quintilius shows up in the adventure as well. Yeah. He's directing yes. the improv festival and is so annoyed that no one is taking had it seriously. Him, <laughs> had him show up multiple times from the beginning because he was kind of a jerk. And yep. it went really well. Yeah, it was good. Um, and then specifically Xanther being written into the book as the most popular guy at school. It's written, yeah. it's canon. And I, that was great. Love that. Love that a lot. <laughs> I think that's why uh, it's one of the reasons why the NPCs work so well is, I mean, apart from the fact that they're, they're solid as standalones, is as part of the development process, we knew who these, we had an idea of who these group of characters were, and we could have them seeded throughout the adventures by the adventure writers. Mm. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't a couple of chapters with all these cool characters, and then you the gm has to do all the work to actually sort of put them in it just made it much more of a living environment as you're continuously meeting these people absolutely uh speaking of the boons and banes what brought about the relationship tracker as a mechanic Ooh, so that um that was deliberate from a mechanical perspective, but also from uh, a flavor perspective, right? So I, you know, I talked earlier about really wanting to do non-traditional things with this adventure, really wanting to focus on the social aspect and provide a a romance mechanic um, or, you know, just relationship in in general, because as you know, the system is a spectrum, right? It's, it's friendships, it's rivalries, but it's also a deeper bond, the beloved bond that you see within the system. And so, you know, I really felt like, 
we could explain in a flavor way, a flavorful way, you know, to encourage DMs to include that type of content. But the way to really codify that, the way to really make that official is to put it in a rules element. And so that that then the challenge of creating a mechanical subsystem that was not intrusive on the overall gameplay, but also was meaningful and actually did something within the game. Uh, that was the challenge that was in front of us. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of talk internally. I worked very, very closely with Jeremy Crawford on this system as well as the exam system as well as the extracurricular system to make sure that we got it uh, very right. Um, but the the core of the system was always to have those those points that you see, those relationship points, and have them you know hit a certain threshold based on specific encounters that are included in the adventures. And once you get to that threshold, you become friends. And once you get to you know the negative threshold, you become rivals. And then once you are friends with someone, it unlocks that ability to have the deeper relationship. And that's really sort of the core of the idea. Um, and then there was some playtesting involved, lots of internal discussions, the way subsystem design always goes, many iterations of stuff until we got to something we were happy with. Um, and then it was you know a matter of creating a little uh, tracker character sheet there's a little half character sheet to help track all of that uh, and really getting that to be a core part of the game um was you know that that journey that ended with what you see in the book awesome can we talk a little bit about the jobs and the extra extracurricular activities yeah. there i have to work in my fantasy setting now. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't you don't have to it is optional if okay. you really think about it the job system is the subsystem of a subsystem yeah, because yeah. you can have a job in place of an extracurricular so that way, because I, I worked a lot of jobs in college, like yeah, I, at one I point too. I had three jobs in university and I totally sympathize with people who are like, I don't want to work. I just mm -hmm. want to go to school and have fun. You don't have to. You can do two extracurriculars and not work. And it's not, it's not you're not penalized for that. They uh, For the extracurriculars, so the, the clubs and the, uh, the jobs, um, at first glance, you, you look down the NPCs and you go, oh, okay, though, that person's in two clubs and that person has a club and a job. Mm -hmm. uh, behind the scenes, I spent an enormous amount of time making sure that all of the societies and the jobs were equally represented as much as could be, mm -hmm. but in a way that makes sense. So every single NPC's extracurriculars, whatever they were, make perfect sense for that character um so that you never have a character going well, why why are they why are they doing this um and then you have somebody like grayson so uh grayson is a character from he would be well, like a legacy uh student uh family is incredibly rich power is their principal focus they are um pseudo royalty in, in in that sense he doesn't have a job because at no point does this character need that money. Yeah. Whereas uh, other ones, it makes sense that they do because they're not necessarily coming in from a place of financial security. Mm. So uh, yes, it's so in some cases it is they need to do this to pay their you know, books and and what have you. I think all those little details kind of add to that whole living world kind of. Yeah. you know, approach to all of it too, because you know how to find this specific NPC because they work over there yes. or you can find them in that yeah. club. That little detail just helps make like storytelling more accessible, helps make the NPCs be like reoccurring and actually yes. meaningful. Yeah. So 
Cool. Yeah. And also the fact that when you join an extracurricular or have a job um, as a student, there's an NPC who's a member of that club or who's also working at that job and you get a point with them one way or the mm -hmm. other. And uh, we actually, I believe we listed every NPC who is part of that as an option to sort of give the players an option of, hey, there's, you know, there's these two NPCs, this one, I'm not really sure. They don't really grab me. Their personality doesn't really grab me, but, you know, I totally want to be friends with Javanish. And so I'm going to pick Javanish because I also work at Bozen Tavern. Mm -hmm. um, and that it kind of, you know, just replicates that like friendship bond that you would have with somebody who's in a club with you or who works with you that you might not normally interact with in your classes, but you know, they've, they've got the same sort of uh, outside of class situation going on. But also, so interacting repeatedly with a character who is at a society that you're interested in is common, but there's also the flip side where potentially you'll have your character going, well, I'm not really interested in the, the dead language society. Yeah. But the person <laughs> I like is. So maybe I'll take part in that society so we can spend more time together. I mean, done that. I'm not saying that anybody has done that. <laughs> yes. Done that. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Done that. Oh, it's fine. It's good. Yeah, picking up new interests all the time, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um. In the design of, of this game and the overarching uh, adventure, are there any little Easter eggs or things that you want to point out for people that might be picking up the book now or starting their adventure or any little pieces that you think are cool and important? Ooh, little Easter eggs. So when you say Easter eggs, mm -hmm. do you mean stuff from like the like our backgrounds, or do you mean Easter eggs like references yes. to other all of these um, things? Yes. I see, I see. There is a lot. So I was a primary writer on the first two adventures, the freshman year adventure and the sophomore year adventure. Um, we had uh, a wonderful writer who's on staff named Sydney Adams who wrote the. Um, uh, orientation part of uh, the first uh, adventure um, and we had you know a number of other wonderful adventure writers working on the third and fourth adventures uh, including Steve Kenson uh, and Bill Benham and of course Alexander you know writing the NPCs um, but I like I wrote a lot of that adventure and I put a lot of stuff from sort of my personal life and my personal experiences into that both things that actually happened to me or that I actually participated in as well as things that would have been cool if they happened to me or like <laughs> were in a movie and would have been cool but yeah. isn't really necessarily actually something that happened to me <laughs> isn't that why we play ttrpgs to do yeah cool stuff? Yes. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um so i mean a good example is there's something called uh the strixhaven star is one of the extracurricular activities that um, you can participate in at the university and it is the newspapers essentially the the analog of the newspaper um it's distributed magically right and you know there's a sort of mystical element to it from that perspective but it is the school newspaper um and it's uh there's an nbc in there who uh talks about you know how she wants to be an investigative journalist and she takes a job at the cafes specifically to overhear uh you know important news that might be going on and you know things that she might want to investigate because she's interested in the truth and language and storytelling you know uh and uncovering you know secrets and you know sticking it to the man that sort of thing and that was kind of me in college like i was in you know the student newspaper i was the editor-in-chief of that paper and the reason the star is in there is because of that background um, and it's actually kind of an easter egg because 
my student newspaper was called the Eastern Echo with the alliteration. So the Strixhaven Star with the alliteration, but the star is the name of a newspaper I worked at professionally in Indianapolis. (laughs) So when coming up with like, what should the name of this be? It's like, well, I'm just going to do that. And no one would know that unless you know me like, probably like the most you know the person who knows me the most wouldn't necessarily know that but that's why that turned out that way that is exactly what i was asking for is that like what what is that little piece of you that you put into this thing right Mm -hmm. like there's no no one would ever know that unless they asked you specifically about there's yeah that's awesome that's very cool alexander do you have any little pieces like that as well uh yeah there's a couple i mean as you look through the npcs you'll you'll notice sort of archetypes and tropes and i use those words rather stereotypes because that's something that i was specifically trying to avoid um but my main experience of or my main reference to american high school and university is of course film television (laughs) so um there's a lot of things like the breakfast club 16 candles 10 things i hate about you you know more recently pitch perfect so there's a lots of those sort of analogs that i've i've taken and then reworked in a in a way that is slightly different and a little bit more representative so there's there's that um specifically one of the npcs um now i'm sure everybody will be surprised to know that when we write characters we often draw on other people that we know (laughs) never happens no no um so uh one of the characters uh is called cadaras uh damawella and um he's actually based on a a friend of mine who uh, sadly lost his life during the the work that i was doing on this book um so and i was his first gm and uh, his character was called Cadaras, the elf. Um, he had a surname, but it was an IP surname from another uh, thing. Sure. So, um, so the character surname is actually an anagram of his name oh, wow. uh, for this. Uh, but as I wrote the little uh, blurb and sort of like tried to draw on sort of who this person was, uh, there's there's a particularly like odd um, habit that this character has, Cadaras. Um, and this is based entirely on, on uh, real world. So uh, this player, uh, when we when I ran games at my house, everybody would come and they would bring snacks and they would sort of like eat pizza or, or whatever. And he would turn up with a, a jar, a big jar of pickled onions. Just and we would- Specifically pickled onions. Yeah, pickled onions. Okay. And we would play the game and I was have a great time. And he has got a fork and throughout the game, he's eating an entire jar <laughs> of pickled onions. And then, and this is one of the things that is in the, uh, in the blurb, um, at the end, when we're all wrapping up and it was nearly time to go, he would then open the jar again and he would drink the remaining vinegar. <laughs> And that was, uh, that was, you know, a standard sort of D&D session wow. in his snacks. I know. I was just... How now we have an NPC who does that. <laughs> it's canon. It's forever. It's, yeah. That's, wow. That is really cool. That's very, that's cool. I like that. Very nice. Well, thank you for sharing both of those wonderful things. Um, for us at home, we're going to take a brief break. 
We're going to grab some water to refill coffees and things like that. And when we come back, we will continue diving into some of the design portions of Strixhaven and maybe what our two guests would do if they were players in a Strixhaven game. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to our very special interview here on about Strixhaven with Amanda Hammond and T. Alexander Stangroom. Uh, we have already done about an hour, which it didn't feel like, of questions <laughs> about the game and designing it and, and things about them. And it's been very exciting. Um, we're going to dive more into, I think, just the, the design behind Strixhaven and how the, the adventure and book came to be. Um, so... What I would like to ask is, what was some of the inspiration behind doing these non-combat encounters in Strixhaven? Or just a lot of these combat encounters in general have non-combat ways of resolving them. Uh, yes. And rather specifically written out. So mm -hmm. how did that come to be? What was the, the thought process behind that? Well, a lot of it was um, because just sort of from a logic standpoint, the fact that this is a university with, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of students on campus and faculty members, and it's, uh, you know, it's a living, breathing, functional place of learning. Combat is actually pretty rare on Strixhaven's campus. It's more rare than it would be on an actual uh, real world college campus, right? <laughs> At least we hope so, uh -huh. um, because it is still D&D. &D. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, because it's still D&D &D and there's still, you know, monsters like slotty apparently you know uh, get loose uh, and you know there and that's kind of the thing about Strixhaven is that to have it make sense to have it be in the D&D &D, uh, multiverse there's the sort of this nebulous uh, strip that's right around the university where there are monsters uh, that you know exist as normal and they have their own you know sort of normal natural habitats and those monsters will wander their way onto campus from time to time um, which is when you do get some of the more traditional D&D combat um, but you know, from a logic standpoint, for the most part, in a sense of it being D&D, &D, combat should be relatively rare uh, on Strixhaven's campus. And the fact that uh, the plot is what's going on, I think that makes it even more, uh, even more alarming and even more sort of unsettling that there is this massive looming threat over this university of all of these different young people and all of the faculty and staff members. Um, so it made sense to me that people would be looking at it in that same way. Like this is a university learning happens here. Magic happens here. Uh, you know, fun sort of university stuff happens here and combat is actually a scary thing that shouldn't be that common, even relatively speaking from a D&D &D perspective. And so uh, having um, uh, options baked into the adventure of if you don't want this to turn into you know something really violent you don't have to like your sensibilities will be slightly different being a student on campus as opposed to an adventurer who's in a dungeon where literally everything is trying to kill you that's not the case here in Strixhaven and I felt like to keep that sort of slight sense of our similitude going that you know the non-combat options are really important sure yeah yeah that makes that makes total sense I think one of the, the first instances of that in the, the adventure itself is the frog race. And you can, <laughs> you can talk them down. You can just talk yeah. the frogs back into being normal frogs. And I was like, that's good. That's nice. Yeah. Because you had just had fun with racing them. Like, you don't want to 
hurt your new frog friends? Exactly, exactly. I was trying to really think from the perspective of a player who's playing throughout these, especially the fact that these adventures are very much geared toward new players or non-traditional players or players who maybe previously didn't think D&D was for them because there was too much combat or it was too scary or for whatever reason. Um, I was thinking from their eyes of like, oh, you know, the adventure's encouraging you to dress up these frogs and to name them and to like coach them through this, this race. It's this fun thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, the bad guys, uh, you know, machinations of his, like the little goo, right? Like his influence has corrupted them briefly and they become violent. Well, you don't want to necessarily kill them. You know, it's not their fault that they're attacking. They're your new friend who's got a cape on and his name is Joe. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to kill Joe. No, I got to give him another option. Lord Hoppington. Lord Hoppington. <laughs> That's good too. Yeah. Oh, to Toadsworth Hoppington the fourth. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that was what I was thinking, um, you know, especially when writing and outlining the adventures was that when it makes sense, especially in the early adventures, as people are sort of easing their way into this big overall scary plot that's going on, there has got to be options that are not just you're going to punch someone in the face or you're going to kill something that's momentarily, you know, become a threat. Um, you're going to like subdue the problem in a way that's not necessarily going to hurt the individual or the person or the thing and then you're going to figure out what's going on and that's really kind of what the adventure is pushing folks to do uh, early on does that but the, yeah go ahead but joel the uh, the thing is is that non-violent or less lethal options are always available at tables mm -hmm. but for new gms and for new groups who aren't necessarily comfortable, haven't been playing for 20 plus years and haven't sort of seen all these different systems. It's not necessarily that they're aware of it. It's almost like you need permission to be able to do these things. Because mm -hmm. yeah. the default is, especially in the D&D, &D, is it's, it's yeah, a fight, you kill them. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a fighting game, right? Like, yeah, so oh. this monster, it has hit points, so I have weapon, I yeah. do this, and then the monster stops. So having these additional options codified in the rules mm -hmm. in this book hopefully will then as i said give permission to tables to actually play the game how they want to whereas they might not have felt that they could as players do you prefer the the combat side of things or do you like the the rp side of things because i know there's a lot of people that are just like yeah i love the numbers of yes combat. yeah <laughs> yes um, okay, i i sure. like right. uh i like incredibly deep um shakespearean levels of intrigue and okay. backstory and role-playing yeah. and really deep dives and also mm -hmm. i like kicking monsters until they stop <laughs> So, okay. Yes. Good answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think it's very much tied to the character and what the character would do. And I'm always playing sort of in the head of the character. And so if I'm playing a really aggressive, over the top, uh, you know, violent character, a barbarian who loses control of their rage or something like that, then probably I'm going to go with combat option whenever there, you know, is an option. But if I'm playing, you know, uh, the the deep thinker, the the bard, you know, who's very artistic and into poetry and into singing and you know classical um you know things like that then i'm more thinking like okay well my friends are getting hurt i'm just going to try to get it to stop right i'm not necessarily thinking about killing killing it or you know being violent so i think it just depends so continuing off of the point of uh, mentioning having things written down and codified um 
One thing I absolutely love about Strixhaven is the representation and the relationships. It's such a rich and diverse setting. Y'all have done an excellent job with doing that. Uh, oh, thank from, you. <laughs> God, my heart just like cracked open and all of all the feelings came out. Oh, uh, that makes it, me so happy. <laughs> it means a lot to have it written down, to have it available, because anyone can say like, yeah, you can play it however you want. You don't have to follow the rules, but just having it in text. Yeah. Some people don't even realize those are options and having yes, that yes. makes it accessible. And it's such a big deal. Um, so my question is, how was the representation of all of this considered and clearly built into the core design of this book? Well, it's exactly uh, as you said. So when you represent a, an NPC in, a, in a, the book, unless it says who and what they are, the GM is perfectly able to present them however they want. But it, that's not representation. That's that's you bringing what your table wants and needs. So if it's not written down, if it's not in black and white on the page, then it isn't there. So having the word trans to describe a character matters. Um, so for me, it's incredibly difficult for me because I'm, I'm having to present sort of 18 widely diverse characters. But no one person can represent every voice that you're trying to sort of put down on the page. You, you, I mean, there's no way you can. And it's, of course, more concerning for me because I'm a white cishet man. I mean, I can only write from my own experience and my lived experiences. I can't, I can try and give voices to other characters, but I can only, I can only write what. I know. So I spent so much time creating these and sort of having people look over them because the last thing I wanted to do was actually cause offence, especially when I'd gone to so much effort to make sure that these were real people. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just, uh, this is an elf. Oh, and by the way, they're black. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's just a, a, a word on a page. It's, you know, you, we need to create a, a living, breathing person. Um, so when I when I turn this over, uh, because of course sensitive, sensitivity readers are incredibly important on any project. Anybody who designs um, tabletop or any game, please make sure you use them. Uh, so when I turn these characters over, I was I was really quite worried that maybe I had missed something or through unconscious bias had used some terminology that wasn't sort of correct, despite the amount of time I'd spent on it. Um, and I was fully expecting it to come back with, this is from a good place. Mm -hmm. We appreciate your intentions, but you know, here are a couple of things we need to address. And I was, I was so happy when it came back with the note of, no, we're all good. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. I was of like, course. really? <laughs> oh. Okay. Of course, we we pay very close and special attention to to that thing. Like Alexander said, it's very important to start out uh, with uh, you know just being very mindful and and actively making sure representation is an important consideration and is you know a starting point rather than coming you know halfway through the project and going oh no we need to make yes. sure there's representation or oh no we need to make sure uh, you know that uh, we do this or that or you know oh no maybe we should do a sensitivity reader let's give them a week to work on the thing yeah. or something. 
something like that. It was, it was considered from the very beginning. Um, you know, of course, obviously I, you know, I was the developer on all, all of the text um, and, you know, you know, we have a very similar mindset of how important that is, but we also involved, you know, other folks on staff. We had a sensitivity reader. There was a lot of care and concern put into making sure that that representation was there and done, you know, as correctly as, as we can, right. Everybody is, is a human, but, you know, taking, mm-hmm. taking that and um, making it sort of as applied um, as possible and being, you know, very open and, and not reactionary to any comments like those yeah. sorts of that sort of attitude, I think is really um, important. And, you know, was it involved in the adventure as well, like from a meta perspective, um, not just the, the characters, the specific characters, but, you know, I started out this adventure thinking about how do I make this accessible to an audience that is not uh what would incorrectly be considered like the the core dnd audience right like there's this misnomer that only old white guys only old straight white guys play dnd and that's absolutely not true and has never been true in the history of dnd but i really wanted to make an effort to make sure that this adventure is going to appeal to uh to people who can see themselves in the adventure who you know have different play styles accommodated have got uh you know the wide spectrum of you know love and romance represented as well in the art as well as in the subsystems and the way they function and making sure that that uh you know was a way that um the adventure was presenting itself to the world was very very important to me oh god i'm tearing up here because <laughs> you're hitting all the notes like i just reading over the npcs and just seeing how deeply involved they are they they are not just placeholders they are full people in this setting and y'all have done a wonderful job with it oh thank you you. and just as a player someone who's consumed this like thank you so much Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. And, you know, like there's always people who, you know, are uh, unhappy about various things, but the comments that really make me uh, feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile and fulfilled are the comments from, you know, Twitter and reviews that are like, this is the first time I've, you know, seen myself represented in a tabletop game. I wish I had this when I was a university student because I could have seen someone who was like me going through th- this sort of thing. Those are the kind of comments, you know, that really uh, make it worth you know working in this type of being in this type of field so thank you for saying that (laughs) it being written down is very important and we're very appreciative that it was in fact written down in all of the different ways um (laughs) that being said because that you know it being in the core design of strixhaven um and you guys went through a lot of time and trouble to get it right what were some of the other things that you spent, maybe you didn't expect to spend as much time on or were more challenging than you expected in the design portion uh, of the book? Oh, um, so I think, well, I'm not going to speak too much at length at this because um, while I was certainly involved, I was not you know, overseeing the rules creation. Um, that was Jeremy Crawford, of course, who was our, our lead rules designer. But you know, we spent a lot of time making sure that the rules presented in the book were applicable to characters that would be playing through the campaign. And there was, of course, you know, previous subclasses that were play tested through Unearthed Arcana that we were unhappy with um, you know, the way they tested. Uh, and we just didn't think that those were there. So that got shifted you know, into different 
uh, feats in the backgrounds that you find in the actual uh, end result here. But I, I do think that probably making sure that everything fit together cohesively uh, because we had three different people uh, on staff kind of feeding into, um, you know, the various considerations of the book. That was one of the hardest things. And like, just this is boring, but from a practicality standpoint, the fact that we were fully remote and I was, you know, doing all of the overall overseeing of the book, as well as the adventure design and outline and, uh, you know, making those trains run on time, but that we also had, you know, Jeremy, who was uh, working, you know, with me on the rules stuff and overseeing the creation of the monsters and the player facing roles. And we also had James Wyatt, who was in on the world building because he worked on the Strixhaven Magic the Gathering set, like having all three of us kind of make sure that uh, our stuff was speaking to each other was a lot harder than I think I anticipated. And the fact that we were remote really uh, made that even more of a challenge. So there were times like at the end of the production process, when we're in the same room, we're doing printout reviews. Uh, in a couple of cases, they were like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, like this sentence actually affects this other thing that, you know, you oversaw. Oh, no, we're going to need to make sure those things plug in. So it's, it was a bit boring, but just kind of making sure that the whole thing fit together uh, was a lot uh, more challenging. to do the boring parts to make the puzzles fit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Someone yeah. has to do it. Oh, uh, just as a, a follow up to that, because that was a lot of like how the design process went um, before we jump over to Alexander here. How long was it from beginning to end to like write it was about nine months and publish it was nine about months. nine months that, yeah that feels really fast am i wrong? it was <laughs> okay. that's really not a lot fast. of time <laughs> yep yep yeah wow. so we were definitely on on uh, hyperdrive for the entirety of the project um it took a lot of really wonderfully talented people a lot of very intensive focus to make sure that this got done on time but luckily we had a great team um the writers we had internal and external writers and everybody, uh, we had a, a weekly check-in meeting in which people uh, were very much stream of consciousness, sort of getting out what was troubling them or what was difficult for them throughout their assignments. And everybody just worked so well together. We got really lucky um, that I feel like we all picked each other up, uh, you know, when somebody stumbled and we were better off for it as a whole. Nine months. God, nine months, yeah. So fast. That is so fast. <laughs> yeah. So in yep. that nine month span, Alexander, other than the time, uh, what was the like the biggest challenge for you in the in the writing? Uh, I mean, normally I'm I'm in Seattle today, but normally I'm based in the UK. So having meetings with a group of people who are eight hours behind me is always fun. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, having meetings at 10 p.m. your time, um, and having to be on the ball and like able to Aware. discuss work <laughs> and like yeah so there's that time zones the real bbeg um, <laughs> yeah so talking about uh like spreadsheets it for me it was threading the needle between the mechanical needs of the subsystem and creating well-rounded authentic real grounded characters so i spent uh uh, let's say 30 40 hours it's more but let's say that actually with various excel spreadsheets trying to share out all of the things that i needed to be shared out in yeah. terms of what year the students are in what species they are um what college they're from what subjects they're doing what their extracurriculars are or what their all their jobs are in a way that was 
um, as equally distributed as possible whilst not reducing them to just it's a tick box exercise and then being able to develop characters that tell that story um so trying to find the balance between those two things because it would have been a lot easier if amanda the book leader just said can you create me 18 characters there you go yes <laughs> and that's it like and no parameters yeah. but it's like can you create me 18 characters but <laughs> with the following so like six seven provisos and you're like yes i can that's very difficult but, <laughs> but yes it is so the actual possible. text wasn't yeah so the actual text for each of the the npcs is only like 300 words mm-hmm. it's not not very long at all um but yes dozens and dozens and dozens of hours to get to the point where you can then actually write the words yeah yeah good i appreciate you guys putting that puzzle piece the puzzle pieces together especially now knowing it was done in nine months and the fact that it came out <laughs> yeah. as well as it did that's wow yeah okay very, very oh we good. are professionals and <laughs> yeah, we we do a thing when we need to do the thing <laughs> uh, that being said is there any other uh nine month plans to expand strixhaven uh in the works somewhere <clears throat> Well, we don't have anything on the schedule, uh, <laughs> which is my standard a nine, answer for a month block of something. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we have other projects uh, that are going. Um, the D and D studio has a number of other things going on. Uh, we are focusing on various, various, you know, hardcovers that are uh, that are ongoing, but we don't currently have any further Strixhaven stuff. The uh, as you would expect, the the non disclosure agreements that Wizards of the Coast get you to sign on. Yes. They're they're pretty they're pretty Having meaty. Signed some of those now. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, all I all I can say is that I am writing on a new Dungeons and Dragons five E hardcover, but go. that book is not a Strixhaven book. Oh, and that's about as much as I can say. That's the question. <laughs> yep, answered. All good. Um, okay, I think. Before we get to like anything outside of the Strixhaven design, I think I want to get into more as if you were playing in the Strixhaven adventure or setting, what kind of character would you play? Oh gosh, that's a really good question because there's so many good options. <laughs> Especially because this is based as a magical university. So there's a certain amount of there are certain characters that probably you need to take off the table or are going to be very, very less common. You've got to really sort of justify why they're there. Um, I do like the idea that uh, a character has got in on like a scholarship, like a sports scholarship. And he's, so he's at wizard school and he's just able to cast the spells that are required for him to stay at wizard school. (laughs) But I mean, he's he's big, dumb, and pretty. I mean, he's like the eldritch knight thing. <laughs> it's just like this. Um, what species is he, and why is he an Alan? <laughs> yes, this. this uh, no, like maybe, maybe a turtle, like this big. Oh, a turtle! This big, adorable <laughs> doofus. <laughs> yeah, like the the gentle giant, the the character that everybody likes. Could but be a minotaur. He could be a minotaur, <laughs> a minotaur. Minotaur. <laughs> what college do you potato, think potato. Minotaur would join? 
A Minotaur. Um, oh, he's probably going to be... And now I need to remember the names of the colleges. Uh-huh. Um, not Silverquill. Okay. Not Witherbloom. Okay. Quandrix the... and Lorehold are the other two. And Prismari. And Prismari. And Prismari. Probably. Probably Lorehold. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> it's a little bit more rufty tufty. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Down and dirty. I think that would work. Yeah. yeah. All right. Amanda, same question. Oh my gosh. I really like the thought of playing uh, a character and i have played characters like this in other games not actually in DD, but in other tabletop games uh like the super like over the top gothy artistic girl who uh yeah likes magic but is really more interested in like well what does it look like does it, does it look cool can i like make cool paintings on my wall uh can i you know what does my outfit look like as i'm walking on campus uh you know I'm studying this stuff, but really, uh, really, I'm a free spirit, and you know my expression. Uh, so that sort of thing is is really fun for me. Like, oh, maybe a maybe a dampier would be really cool. We got an NPC who she would either be friends with or would hate. She's my favorite. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, she's Aurora. Vampire, yeah, Aurora is like up there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, damn. So uh, this is a, a whole nother end of the conversation. But translating uh, Strixhaven from Magic into D and D required yeah. some kind of smoothing just to make sure that it made sense within you know the D and D game. Um, and so vampires uh, were a type of creature that were listed as being very prevalent within Silver quill in the magic the gathering world guide mm. well obviously we can't have vampires running around in D uh as professors and students like that kind of doesn't make any sense i mean you could you, could. you, could. <laughs> you certainly could but it probably would be more rare because vampires just function differently in the D verse right yeah. so our solution to that was making uh while still getting that flavor but not kind of breaking uh the mechanics of D was to make them be dampiers so aurora is a dampier there's a dampier professor of silver quill who probably is coming up later <laughs> spoilers for those of you watching uh who's really prominent in one of the adventures um so that's a i think that's interesting just because it's it's fun to kind of play play throughout that trope and then watch kind of the character growth um and like i said i, I have played a character like that in what was actually a ducktales themed gumshoe game <laughs> I was a black swan. <laughs> Did not expect that in a sentence. Um, I play some very weird games, you guys. Awesome. <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> that just made my worldview of TTRPG seem so small in that I did not know that that was a thing that could be a thing. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, that's, that's, that's the great thing about working in TTRPGs and having friends who work in TTRPGs yeah. is that you get to play their really odd ideas. So, um, Tell about Jason. So, so Jason Keeley, uh, who currently works over on Surfinder. Starfinder Paizo. for, for Paizo. Yeah. We've been friends for many years. Uh, we recently played in one of his games, and it was uh, where you're all breakfast cereal mascots <laughs> living in a world that's similar to Who Friend Roger Rabbit. Okay. Where they're animated characters that live in the world. And um, yep, that was a game, that's a game that we played. That's a game. <laughs> that he's very Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, lots of fun. Um, for you as players, and maybe not specifically as those characters you were just deciding, <clears throat> which NPC would you romance? Which one? Or two, or four. Oh you know. man, lots. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All well, of the above. Well, that's the point, actually. Sort of you, you joke, but um, 
what would be considered non-traditional sort of um, two individual sort of relationships are represented. So polycules are codified. Mm-hmm. If you would like to have that type of relationship, that's absolutely fine. If the entire party want to, re- to romance one of the NPCs, they're cool with that. Uh, if you want to romance five of the NPCs, they're that's cool okay. with that too. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. You know, you have fun as long as everybody's, you know, aware of what's going on, yeah. consent all around. It's absolutely fine. Um, I I mean, I do love my scruffy boy. Um, yeah. Javanesh. Yeah. But Grayson. You think so? Grayson is so mean. <laughs> <laughs> But I know he's good deep down, and I can change him. <laughs> oh no! Uh, can you though? I think that's no, so- <laughs> no, I can't. But, but you're I gonna try. To. You're I'm gonna, gonna try. try. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're taking on a rather large romantic challenge there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Amanda, what do you think? Oh my gosh. So, you know what? I play games in which there's like a romance sub game and I usually do like a playthrough that is like, I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to like pick one character fairly early and I'm going to kind of go with them as like my main romance. And then I'll play the game over and over again. I'll be like, okay, now I'm going to be a different class and I'm going to romance a different person. I'm going to be a giant jerk to everyone. Right. Just to kind of like get, get the whole experience of the game. So I think my first playthrough of Strixhaven uh, there's so many NPCs that are awesome, but I would be very, very inclined probably to pick somebody uh, like Jerazimir, mm. who is uh, who is our Minotaur, <laughs> who is our our giant uh, librarian who you know loves dead languages and will write you love poetry in a dead language when when you study with him and become close to him and you know everyone's uh, sort of a little bit afraid of him and he doesn't necessarily have a lot of friends because people don't really understand but uh, I feel like that that would be a really fun arc to kind of like have him be a tutor to you in you know one of your on-screen classes early on and i uh, just kind of go from there and like when he starts showing up at some of these party-like atmospheres where you probably wouldn't expect you know the big bookworm to show up like i think it would be super fun to be like oh is he just here because it's a coincidence or is he here for me oh my gosh i have to try to impress him uh, he's he's so hard to win over i think that would probably be my first pick <laughs> i like him a lot too we introduced him in the first episode. He was just big, big soft boy. Yeah. Well, she'll, she'll point out that um, uh, Amanda has a very bad track record at dating games. <laughs> like, oh, terrible. <laughs> I do. Um, Amanda uh, played Monster Prom, which is a fantastic game, yeah. uh, uh, PC game that you should uh, give a go. And uh, every time she's played it, she's been rejected by every <laughs> single person. <laughs> I have yet to have somebody accept my invitation to go to prom with me. And I've played that game through at least three times, if not four times. The developers were like, what are you doing? I don't understand. So that's funny that you mentioned that because I think my sort of frustration of like, why does no one love me? It really influenced the fact that the romance system, the relationship system is very player facing. And it's very much the player has the agency to decide who are they interested in and who are they interacting with. And it's sort of like flipped on its head from that traditional romance aspect of a game where you have to, uh, you know, you might maybe impress this person, but you don't really know how it is to do that. 
Yes. Did you give them the correct item that they like? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to get away from the like, oh, the gift-based system or whatever and have it be a more role-playing focused thing. So as long as you are sort of presenting yourself in the way that you want that point to come across the positive or negative way, like you're going to continue to build that relationship. Very cool. Um, I think we've kind of given a little bit of a spoiler to this one here, but the question is what college would you join in Strixhaven? Our overlay <laughs> might have the symbols next to your uh, faces. Yes. <laughs> Three of us are the same. Team Silver Quill. Team Silver Quill. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the Silver Quill superiority, the alliteration is pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any particular reason why you'd pick Silver Quill uh, that you want to share? I like language and I like, I have a tendency to write lengthy, complicated, run on compound sentences what? with quite a high vocabulary, oh. um, which then gets turned over and the editor is like, how do I translate this into American? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yes, yeah, Silver Cool. Yes. Yes, and very similar to me, you know, spoilers there on the overlay, Silver Quill, um, for a very similar reason. Um, but, you know, I've, I've always been, you know, just enamored with the power of language uh, and very passionate about what language can accomplish, uh, you know, from a human communication standpoint, but also from a storytelling standpoint and a fulfillment standpoint and uh, the way we experience the world being through the power of language and the way that we can relate to stories and we can learn from from role playing and from stories that's all that's all words that's all based on language um you know you might be reading it you might be watching it you might be listening to it but it comes down to uh you know the way that expression um is created with language and so silver quill for me is absolutely that there's a whole bunch of little spoilers in there there's a, a little subhead in um the improv festival that is uh exit pursued by an owlbear which is a shakespeare reference uh, mm -hmm. but it made D, &D nerdified <laughs> so you know i i've always been into to literature and live theater um and and various things like that so for me that's definitely silver quill Excellent. What about you, Joel? Why did you pick Silver Quill? I don't know. Uh, mostly because that's my... where the cool kids are. Yeah, pretty much that. And also, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a talking head on the internet. Uh, that's what I do, and I use a lot of words. They may not be as long and profound as our guest here, but I still use words for everything, and I figure that that's probably the best way to to put it out there. And all yeah, the other ones fair. seem boring. So okay, well, Borold. <laughs> Lorehold <laughs> is all about like uncovering secrets and history yeah. and magic items. What's not cool about that? And it really seems like they just get their pants dirty most of the time in the yeah. dirt. And I'm okay without that. So digging in the dirt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Valid. Um, all right. Uh, as TTRPG writers, do you have any one or two pieces of advice that you would give someone who's just starting to work in the field? Um I think I alluded to slightly earlier, play as many different types of games as you can. Um, as we know, D&D 5e is the big in town, and most people are going to be wanting to write for that. But playing other systems lets you see what is possible in, other, you know, in ways of creating stories and having mechanics that work differently. Strixhaven is a great example. If you only write to what has been previously produced, nothing's going to change, nothing's going to develop, you're not going to see new and interesting ideas. Strixhaven is drawn on from so many 
different systems and concept from PC games and, and all of these different systems that you can then create something within that system, but new and interesting at the same time. So there's continuous sort of engagement and sort of development of, of the hobby. Um, so yeah, read as much as you can, play as much as you can, um, just to broaden your horizons. That's good advice. Okay. Amanda, yeah. any nuggets of wisdom? Well, one of the things that is so difficult, I think, about being a TTRPG writer is that that is very important, right? Continuing to play, um, continuing to, you know, rediscover what it is that you love about the hobby and what it is that you find interesting. Um, because, you know, of course, the answer is very likely going to be, I don't just like one game and one system. I like all of this other stuff. Um, so it is very important to continue to expand your horizons, as Alexander said. Um, but as a writer, you know, getting started in TTRPGs, um, as you're going through assignments, right, there's a very practical side of that, um, which is, you know, what I'm going to talk about. And it's that while you're doing all those things, while you're, you know, able to try to play as much as you can and experience as much as you can and, and you know, learn about the field, try to find a way to love whatever it is that you're working on. Um, as a TTRPG writer, especially what? getting started, <laughs> I, I know, right? I, I know you're over here like, I hate this assignment. It's the worst thing ever. Who gave this to me? Yeah. And I'm just like, do the thing. Oh my God, I need it. Uh, <laughs> you, you write it and you, you love everything about it and then you turn it over and then you second guess yourself that you are a dreadful hack and they're going to hate <laughs> every word of it. Yeah, that's, that's the typical TTRPG writer arc. Uh, but yeah, you know, getting started, like uh, you, lots of people, you know, they do it as much as they can. They write as much as they can. They might be working on multiple assignments at once. And you don't always have, and is especially getting started, you really never have the luxury of actually choosing what it is you're working on. Um, so sort of like dismissing the notion that I'm, I'm only going to work on, you know, stuff that I'm super excited about is, I think, a mistake because then you might not necessarily get to learn about something that, well, maybe you're not good at it when you first start, but you can continue to work on it, you continue to build your skill, and that's how you become a better writer. So even if you're assigned, you know, from, uh, you know, uh, whatever company, whatever developer, like what you think might be kind of a boring thing, uh, if there's a way that you can find a way to love that assignment, if there's a way that you can find a way to, you know, inject a little bit of yourself into that assignment or find something uh, about that that really interests you, the better your writing is going to be, but also the more skills you're going to build, you're going to trick yourself into the becoming good at a thing that you thought you hated. Um, you know, like a good example is myself. Like I start when I started out over a decade ago, I was really bad at drawing maps. Like I'm a very, you know, sort of abstract language focused person. And, you know, having to draw the actual, you know, architectural lines of a building and a map in one square equals five foot, that was difficult for me. Um, and so I just, you know, had to kind of had to do it because I was assigned adventures. And so I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And now I love drawing maps. I drew like over 20 maps for the Strixhaven book. Uh, and it's one of my favorite things in the world. And like, I love teaching people how to draw maps. So, you know, there's an example. If you think you hate a thing, maybe just keep trying it. If it's a good skill to have and you might get better and you might actually like it. Do you What's have your... a class for drawing maps? <clears throat> I have done uh, panels in the past. Uh, I've been on panels in the past talking about drawing maps. 
Yeah, and I believe probably there's a couple of things out there where I've shown, I know there's streams I've done where I've shown off early sketches of maps. Um, going way back, the first second edition Pathfinder Adventure Path volume that was published is called Hell Knight Hill. And I did a stream with James Jacobs, the developer of that, in which we actually went through my uh, first sketches of all the maps for that adventure. And we talk like a lot in depth of some of the things that people might find kind of boring but like how we make those maps work and how they're functional and how they do interesting things from a terrain and encounter perspective so that was probably a joke question but heck no, yes i, I have mean, that not, not really because like i <laughs> i find myself i am also bad at making maps and i like using maps that other people make because yeah. the, mm -hmm. that level of decision making that you're talking about in my brain i go i don't don't know what the right thing is here so i'd rather use someone up. so yeah that was a, that was an actual yeah. question <laughs> very good to know my question is what's your favorite map element to draw or make uh, i like big uh, expansive encounter maps i like doing multi-floor buildings that are really complex that have got all kinds of space usages um, that can double as other various things for the adventure or that was it was maybe a building used for something else that's fallen into ruin and is now an adventuring site like i love spatial and environmental storytelling um and i really like creating you know these big maps that you can explore and discover things um and that have lots of little different things for the gm um, or the dm whatever system it is to seed throughout to kind of tell that story to keep the adventure going forward that's my favorite hmm. as a kind of a, a follow-up on on how amanda phrased that alexander is there anything in like your tabletop design career that you found you enjoy more now than you did originally? Um, I, I've actually putting the words on the paper. Okay. Um, because one of my greatest joys is actually having a concept and having a, a brief and sitting down with uh, a couple of people and just talking around it and outlining. So I've done like world building on an unannounced project for a major publisher, which is is in mothballs at the moment because of the pandemic. Um, sure. So we won't say what that is. Um, so talking about that and actually sort of creating a space in which those adventures can take place. So actually like um, campaign, creating campaign settings. So I've, that's always what I've enjoyed. Mm. And getting into the minutiae, and writing specifics like little bits of adventures or that that's that was fine but i much preferred actually the the scene setting yeah uh but spending as much time as i did with strixhaven and one of these other projects at the moment um it's nice to actually write prose okay. and actually you know put down and have come away with you know five six thousand words and go yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with that yeah, that's uh, that's one of those um, fun little idiosyncrasies of writers is that like every writer is in love with their own voice. <laughs> and so as you write things down on paper and you're reading it out loud, you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And then you put it down and six months later, you look at it and you're like, what idiot wrote this? <laughs> yep. I got into TTRPGs uh, really young and I started from the very niche hobby of forum role playing. So there was okay. a lot oh, cool. of lot of like writing stuff, printing it out. I'm like, I'm such a great writer. And then like <laughs> shove it in a drawer six years later. What is this garbage? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We we love our voices and we also hate our voices. It's a terrible curse. <laughs> and that six years, that in between, 
Uh, yeah, between between pressing send is normally the time for you to then be like, oh, they're going to hate it. They're not going <laughs> to give me another job. They're going to send it back. The editors, they're not even going to like circle and change things. They're just going to put a red line through the whole thing. Just no. no. As a response, as a, line, that's it. Yeah. As a minor helpful side note, that is something that we call imposter syndrome. And there are panels about dealing with that and overcoming that. Uh, and I've been on those as yeah. well. So that is sort of a thing to overcome in one's yeah. own head. It's an ongoing thing that everybody in the industry mm -hmm. and across all forms of employment have to deal with. It's just making sure that we recognize it and support each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not being afraid of like asking another person, you know, workshopping is incredibly important, but also sort of like putting your sort of feelings out there and being like, I have this thing and I really don't know if it's good or I'm not sure how it's going to come across and sort of like having the, the the confidence and the trust in somebody else to to show them your work and like get an opinion back, right? Like that's yeah. so helpful in this business. It's good. Thank you. Um, I think we're going to do one more off of our, our list of questions here. Sure. Um, so this kind of goes back to process again, nine months flying through things really and coming out with a damn good product. What is the process like for creating content such as monster blocks, NPCs, or anything else, the adventure itself at Wizards? Is it a like divide and conquer? Like Amanda, did you write like, I wrote this one section of this chapter one in this adventure, or was it a more collaborative effort in that regard? It's different depending on what type of content uh, you're writing. A, a whole hardcover like this does get broken up into chunks uh, and there are schedules that are created for it and there are milestones that are put into place depending on what type of content it is, whether or not it's something that needs play tested is also taken into account. And so there's really no one answer for that question, um, but there is definitely a, you know, write a draft, uh, have see how that draft survives contact with the enemy, uh, the enemy being like your friend who you're showing it to uh you know your editor somebody else on staff like what whatever it is there there is that process that goes forward and then um you know we've got uh you know folks who uh end up reading things sometimes you know in the milestone phase or at the, the printout phase who you know are the ones making sure that hey this is okay to actually publish um so it's, it's a big long wide process um but yeah there's a lot of steps yeah specifically on Strixhaven, we because pandemic and everybody's working from home and because also there were external writers like myself and steve mm -hmm. who were working on this we would have meetings and we would all come in and everybody would have a bit of a chat just touch base what they were working on at the time but it was great because we could workshop and a writer would say right i've got this thing i've got my outline i know where i need to be and i've hit this point and i i know where i want to get to with it but i'm not entirely sure on how to get the party there and it meant the rest of us could chat about it for five minutes, make a couple of suggestions. Even if those weren't used, they might just spark an idea for the principal writer to go away and sort of continue to work on. So that collaborative uh, process was incredibly useful. Thank you. Um, I think we'll stop it there because I know there's some things on here that we could spawn off onto another two-hour conversation about. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> rather than do that, we'll call it here and maybe save that for uh, another day. 
if you guys would like to come back at any point in time. Absolutely. Sure, yeah. Thank you so much for having us today. We had a really good time. With that, <laughs> I'm going to let you say who you are again and where people can find you and your work, wherever that may be. Give yourself a you know a little pat on the back and, and, and shout out your stuff here. So uh, let's start with Amanda this time, please. Hello. Uh, so I'm Amanda Hammond. I am a senior designer at Wizards of the Coast in the Dungeons and Dragons studio. You can find me on Twitter at Amanda Hammond. That's H-A-M-O-N for my last name. I post all kinds of nonsense and I never promise to post about anything predictable or official in any way. So <laughs> you should probably never read my Twitter because it's nonsense. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's um, good nonsense. I think between the yeah. two of them, there's a, a quite a good bit of good nonsense going on. <laughs> Top quality nonsense, yes. fine artisanal crafted nonsense. Yes. <laughs> I, I distilled from the purest hand-picked nonsense. It's true, it's true. Triple distilled uh, nonsense. Yeah. Um, I'm T. Alexander Stangroom. I am the Director of Operations for Cobble Press. You can find me on Twitter at TA underscore Stangroom. I won't spell my name, read it, nobody gets it right. Um, and in the real world, should that happen again, um, I am normally at the major conventions in and around the Cobalt Press booth. Yes, it was great meeting you, not once, but twice in this last <laughs> six months. So that was that was very nice. Yeah. Uh, my lovely co-host, Stella, please uh, say who you are, where people can find you. Hello, I'm Stella Luna on Twitch, Stella Luna TV on all other social media. I am a TTRPG producer and I had the lovely honor of playing in the Strixhaven limited run with Runaway Robot as our DM and I had the pleasure of meeting both of our fine guests at the conventions as well and thank you so much for being here really really appreciate it I had a blast oh <laughs> this is so insightful and just yes Thank you guys very, very much for joining us. Chat at home, thank you very, very much for watching and sending out some of the questions as well. Um, this has been a whole lot of fun, and hopefully we can do this again at some other future undisclosed date on other projects. There's the cat! I knew. Yes, there it is. as promised. As promised. As promised. Perfect part for us a, to go add on. There's an the An 11th cat. hour appearance from <laughs> Guinevar, who yeah. is the real star of this entire stream. <laughs> so everyone claps for Gwen, and uh, until next time. Goodbye, everyone. Bye! Bye, -bye. Bye, -bye.